Welcome to Live at the Nippa. You're here with JB, founder of Squirrel, and David Cunningham, or DC, who is our CEO. Now, today, we're going to talk about investment property. It's a bit of a hot topic again. We're seeing a lot more activity on our website with people downloading our property investing guide. And there's been quite a bit of change out there. So we thought we'd come back to that as a topic. Dave, you've been sort of looking into this a bit lately. There's there's quite a bit changing. Do you want to give us maybe those headlines? Sure. Hey, welcome everybody to 2024. Uh, it will be an interesting year as every year is with lots of unpredictability, but there are a couple of predictable things happening um, from a property investor perspective. And JB mentioned that we've seen quite a bit of demand, unusually high actually, for our property investor guide. So I guess that was the sort of the reason for talking property investing in this podcast. Hey, so first up, the government confirmed before Christmas a couple of really significant changes that impact property investors. First one was interest deductibility. So you recall about three years ago, the Labor government uh, was winding back interest deductibility for property investors. It was 100% deductible previously. It was wound back to 75, then 50, and it was due to go to 25% on 1 April this year. Under the new policy, it's 60% for the year we're in. So it was effectively backdated. So instead of 50, it was 60 for the year we're in. And then it goes to 80% deductibility from 1 April 24, three months time or less, and 100% back to the 100% level on 1 April 25. So for property investors, that means that if they're geared, which is a reasonable proportion of property investment, then that means the interest is deductible. Now, what that means is under the previous policy, you would have effectively been paying tax on your rent, but not getting deductibility on your interest. So I guess that restores to what some might call a sort of fair level of playing field. So that's the first big change. The second one is the bright line test, which you recall was brought in by the national government. It was extended to five years and then Labor extended it to 10 years, almost three years ago now. And Nicola Willis announced in the pre-Christmas mini-budget that from 1 July 2024, that drops back to two years, so even shorter than it was previously. So uh, another set of six months or so to wait. But what that means is property investors that have bought at any time in the last two years from before 1 July 24 can sell and not be liable for capital gains tax, unless they're, of course, classed as property investors. So, look, if I stand back and think about what the impact of the introduction sort of two, three years ago of those changes then the removal over the next few months means, I guess it makes property investment more attractive for people that are geared uh, property investors or are shorter term holders of uh, property investments. And my reflection is we've seen a reduction on the number of rentals uh, because it's been less attractive for property investors. So I think a sort of sideline positive of the changes, irrespective of what it means for property investors, is that it will start to re-increase that pool of rental properties. So JB, any questions on that stuff or observations before we move on to some of the other things that might be driving interest by property investors? Yeah, there's a few things in there, actually, that I wouldn't mind unpacking. So one is um, obviously the interest deductibility coming back onto investment property. So, you know, purely from an investor perspective, they'll be like, yay, improves cash flow, reduces any tax liability. Uh, that's got to be a good thing. Short term, people are still going to be running into some issues here, you know, especially this year. Um, but, you know, so a lot of investors will have some level of tax liability this year, but... 
um, it's improved. The good thing from a bank perspective, because look, one of the big issues for property investors has been with the high interest rates, servicing calculators are really hard to pass. And so, you know, even if an investor's wanted to go out and get another property, they haven't been able to, right? Because those calculators have been too difficult to pass. The good news with this is that the banks have reverted back to obviously uh, treating rental properties the way that they used to with interest deductibility. That improves the servicing calculators, so improves the amount that uh, these investors can borrow ignoring what's happening with interest rates. So in short, uh, banks are going to be easier to borrow from than they were prior to this change. So that's, that's a good thing. And then if I think about the bright line test, what, what's kind of interesting from my perspective on that is that, look, there's an argument that people will say, oh, you know, you shorten the bright line test, you're just going to get all the speculative trading activity. And, you know, whilst that's sort of, you know, could be true a little bit, and I think maybe in the past there's been a bit of that going on, Speculative trading activity will typically occur when um, A, people think they're getting a bargain and B, when they see house prices going up. Secondly, most traders are paying tax. So, you know, this bright line test thing's a bit of a myth. So, so I've previously been a property trader and a developer and I've got to hold properties for 10 years to get them out uh, without paying tax, right? Irrespective of what happens with that bright line test. So any anyone that is a, a, a developer or a trader essentially still has to hold property long term if they don't want to pay income tax on it. Um, so this bright line test doesn't really do much. What it was doing was it was preventing regular you know, genuine investors from selling property because they'd go, oh no, shit, I've got another three years, I've got to hold this thing before I can uh, sell it, right? And which is crazy because um, they'll have reasons to sell it, you know? And so I think the pulling the bright line test back from my perspective kind of removes uh, what was a silly roadblock. Yeah, totally. it sort of ch impacted the sentiment as well. Look, I'm locked in for maybe 10 years as opposed to, you know, that ne wasn't necessarily the case, but it's sort of a bit like yeah. being locked into a TD. You can't get your money out for, you know, five years if you take a five-year TD. And so, uh, well, the, so yeah, you tend to take a short term. But, uh, oh, yeah. totally. But, but, you know, I think I think about the, the sort of law of unintended consequences because, like, I can tell you, look, I have to hold property 10 years to get it out uh, without tax, right? I've had long-term properties that I've been holding that I had no intention to sell, but, you know, circumstances changed and I needed to sell those properties to free up cash for um, other things, you know, like uh, maybe a bank required me to pay down debt on a commercial property, or I had a situation where I had a big tax bill to pay and I had to, I didn't have enough cash for it. So I had to sell a property to pay, to pay tax. But ironically, because I hadn't held that property for 10 years, I created another tax liability by selling it. <laughs> so I sold a property to pay tax and then I created another tax liability that I had to pay, which I had no cash for. So then I had to sell another property to pay the tax on that. Then you go, well, ah, oh, that's tough love, JB. But I think it's sort of, at least for people not like me, you know, just regular people going about their lives, they're not inadvertently creating tax liabilities. Yeah. Hey, just as an aside, of course, the Reserve Bank restrictions still apply for banks in terms of investment uh, property. Yeah. Uh, LVR restrictions. What What's the level now? 65 percent so 65%. it was 60 it went to 65 mm. i wouldn't be surprised that doesn't 
get moved again, but I don't think they'll be in a hurry to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so that conversation about capital gains sort of leads into a good discussion about prices because you've, you know, to pay a capital gain, the price of the property needs to have gone up in the first place. So let's talk a bit about the some of the influences on prices. Now, I guess we the, the sort of backstory is we had a 50% increase in property prices on average across New Zealand post-COVID with those very low interest rates, sub 3%, even as low as 2%. And as interest rates were lifted by 5.25% over the course of about 18 months by the Reserve Bank, we saw quite a slump in prices. So I think on average, New Zealand prices dropped about 20%. So that left prices about 25% lower in absolute terms, but in real terms with inflation of, what, about 20% over that time, I suppose you could say there Mm. in real terms, it was even a much, much larger fall. So prices down, does that make it more attractive for property investors? In other words, is it a buyer's market and we'll we'll sort of see people taking advantage of that from a property investment perspective? Yeah. So look, I guess if you break property investment down, you've probably got some different groups in there, right? So, and and we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, you've got maybe long-term passive investors at one end of the spectrum. And then you've got, uh, you know, really aggressive active investors at the other end of the spectrum. So the passive investor just is going to buy a property and then hold it long term. They could just go pick a property themselves or they could go to a a firm that specializes that, uh, someone like Enable Me or Opez, and, and they may pick a property for them. Chances are, you know, a professional business is going to, on average, pick a bit of property. It's a bit like going to a share broker as opposed to just buying shares yourself on sharesies. You know, you're hoping they've got some insight and some knowledge that will improve the odds of getting a good buy. And uh, But that's all you're doing and you're holding it long term. In my world, you know, law of averages, some people will do very well, some won't do very well. Law of averages says that, you know, house prices long term go up uh, about sort of 2% above inflation. And so you, you can always expect to get a long term return. That's a leveraged return. So, you know, you might, I think, you know, you might get a 7 or 8% return on property long term, which is, you know, similar to what you might get on a sort of a low risk share portfolio. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's not a bad investment. It's certainly better than cash in the bank. So, you know, when you get old, you know, older people cash in the bank, they don't really want to put it into shares. Property is a really good alternative. It's something that people love, bricks and mortar, they can see it. At the other end of the spectrum where people are more aggressive, you know, there's a view that they can get a much higher return than that, but they've got to work harder for it. And that's where you could go all the way through to, you know, people that really focus on trying to find undervalued properties. And uh, at the moment in this market, I think, that, you know, you're certainly seeing those investors out there where their sense is that they'll be able to find something that they consider to be materially below its fair market value and that they're going to get a really good deal. And that if they hold that deal for the next four to five years, um, as the market comes back, and, and remember that most of this comeback is going to be recovery as opposed to, um, you know, us sort of going beyond previous market highs, um, mm. 
they will get an uh, abnormally high return, right? Now, those investors are definitely circling. They're definitely out there in the market sensing that with a bit of blood on the street, they're going to get get good deals. Mm. Are these sort of investors um, holding multiple properties typically? Oh, yeah, yeah, they are. And a lot of these guys are experienced, so they'll be holding reasonably large portfolios. Now, they're definitely back and they're definitely sniffing out and hunting deals. And then what happens is that everyone thinks that they're like that. So you get the ones that are really like that and they know how to go and find a really good deal and they get out there and they do it and they transact, you know, and the guys that I know that do this very well, you know, they could do five or six property transactions this year, maybe more, but they'll do deals. You know, they they won't just sit there and ponder it. They'll be out there hitting the pavement, finding those deals and doing them. And it's hard work. It's not easy. Um, then you'll get a bunch of people that are like, oh, imagine if I could be that person. And they're really passive investors, but they want to be active, but they don't know how to go about it. And um, and they know that there'll be some deals out there, but they won't know how to find them. But they'll want to get into the market. And I think that's probably a lot of the inquiry that you're seeing at the moment. People who kind of have this romantic notion that you can make a lot of money in property, they don't know how to go about it. In reality, they're probably more passive than active. Um, And even if they decided to be active, they're probably not going to do it overly well because in my experience, most people don't. But I think that's what you're sort of starting to see. People can sense that there's an opportunity in the property market. They don't know how to go about it. They don't know how to dive into it. So they're really starting to try and educate themselves at the moment. I guess if hundreds or thousands of people like that do buy their first property, which is probably what they're going to do if they're asking for a property investment guide, they don't know enough. (laughs) They're finding out how to get started. Then you know it's it's sort of a mess thing, isn't it? The more people in the market as buyers, uh, the more activity will happen. So so that fact that prices are down, um, I think we're fifteen percent off the peaks, which incidentally, compared to the rest of the world, pretty well the rest of the world is back at their post-COVID peaks. So the expectation that prices will sort of recover is partly driven by that sort of perception of buyer's market. What about the influence of interest rates? Because we haven't really, we've seen wholesale interest rates fall, you know, as much as one, one and a half percent at the long end of the curve, even the short end, the one year uh, swap rates down at least 50 basis points. Interest rates are going to fall over the next couple of years, potentially quite materially. How, How will that influence property investors thinking? Well, I mean, it's all about affordability, right? So I think generally Kiwis borrow as much money as the banks will let them borrow. I don't know that it's, oh, how much can I afford? (laughs) I think it's about how much can I borrow? Property investors, particularly if their viewers are going to get capital gain, largely speaking, it'll be how much money can I borrow? So you what know, you're saying is, from a cash flow perspective, it, it does make a difference, obviously, if you can get a lower interest rate, but it's more the serviceability test and the test rate that banks are using that, yeah, that matters. And that, okay, so that's slightly different transmission mechanism than you'd see for, say, first-time buyers where they're committing to that long-term cash flow. So that's quite an interesting difference there, eh? So it's all about the serviceability. Yeah, I guess that oh, applies t- to first-time buyers too, though. Oh, it does apply to first-home buyers too. You know, I mean, um, I guess, you know, like, I mean, there's been plenty of first-home buyers in the past that just want to leverage themselves to the hilt and they have the confidence that they'll um, they'll be able to afford it, you know, no matter what it takes. And, and, you know, that's hurt some people as rates got very high. 
um, because, you know, it's um, suddenly the reality of that's hit them. Because servicing calculators are using such high rates now, typically the servicing calculator is the limiting factor. What, what's for, the for test all borrowers. rate? What's the test rate banks are using right now, roughly? Oh, look, roughly nine percent. Right, nine percent, so, and and you're generally seeing mortgages go through at what seven percent today, roughly seven seven percent today. So, um, you know, we're, we're up around that 9% mark. Um, and look, for, for first-home buyers, you know, that's certainly impacting on how much they can borrow. For property investors, it has a massive impact because not only is it 9%, but we test all of that debt on principal and interest repayments. So, you know, you've got principal and interest repayments at 9%. Um, we're reducing the amount of rental income that we factor in. It's not as bad now because at least we've got interest deductibility back. So you, know, you add that all up and it's quite hard to borrow lots of money. And so that's still going to be the limiting impact for a while yet. So yeah, Dave, whilst you might say, hey, look, we could start to see interest rates decreasing soon, certainly by the middle of this year, it's not really going to impact on uh, investor ability to borrow until we um, see the OCR dropping or we basically see the bank servicing calculators easing up. Do you think the banks will drop their servicing test rate in advance of an OCR change? Yeah, look, I think I think there'll be two factors that drive it. One will be they won't want to get offside with the RBNZ, and I think we're seeing a bit of that at the moment, right? So I think the banks are waiting for cues from the RBNZ about what good behaviour looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't culture and conduct. <laughs> this is uh, towing the monetary policy desire line from the Reserve <laughs> Bank that's holding interest rates at higher levels at the moment despite yeah. the drop in wholesale. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and look, they're making plenty of money, right? So they've got big fat margins, making plenty of money. I think they're quite happy with the status quo. It's just like, don't tickle the bear, <laughs> leave things alone for now. Yeah. And It's and probably so our think... job to tickle the bear, JB, and, you know, call them out <laughs> because <laughs> anyway, we won't go there right now. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, how, but... how about the boom in immigration? You know, I think we, we're hitting uh, just at 130,000 net migrants to New Zealand over the last 12 months or so. How's that fueling, uh, well, I guess property investors, but the market overall, what are you seeing uh, occurring there? Well, there's a little bit more competition for, you know, women wanting to get their nails done, eh? Um, and <laughs> and, and, um, and we don't have a shortage of taxi drivers. Yeah, look, I, you know my view on this. I think this country is an unmitigated disaster in terms of our level of incompetence when it comes to most things. But, you know, the immigration, you know, we, we shut the door and then we open it for all and sundry and we just don't have high quality immigration. I mean, look, it's backfilling a lot of low skill vacancy that we had across a, a number of areas, which is good but it's not high quality immigration. It's certainly helping drive, you know, rental property shortage for sure. And in some parts of the market, you know, we're ending up with these kind of sweatshop rental accommodation again, where it's kind of 10 people to a house. So I guess you would say net net good for landlords. Um, it, it's not going to, other than that, it's not going to drive the property market. And that's because many of the migrants are not house buyers, they're renters or living yep. in a hostel. I guess many are, many are sort of younger as well. So it's interesting, eh? compared to Australia, they've had half a million net migrants, but it definitely has driven property prices. They're back, they're in fact above in Australia, above the previous highs in 
house prices. And so that's partly because migrants are buying because they're more affluent migrants as opposed to New Zealand sort of got a less affluent migrant. And um, interest influx. rates. Yeah, absolutely. And interest rates are lower in Australia. Their quality of immigration is arguably better, but their interest rates are lower, right? So, mm. um, and their incomes are higher. I mean, you know, mm. how much higher are Australian incomes? So, yeah, look, there's a lot of reasons for that. Plus, um, bear in mind, Australia doesn't have LVR restrictions. Right, yeah. Hey, so from, from that immigration boom perspective, though, for a landlord, uh, that supports rising rents, which is sort of positive in terms of uh, yeah. the cash flows and so on. So that's totally. sort of a positive and, and, we've, and we've seen that, right? And um, yeah. there's certainly no issue with vacancy yeah. uh, here anymore. So that's tightened up that rental market considerably which is good good for landlords but um, the, but oh the, dave the other thing i was going to say right and and this is there's never one factor in these things and i think it's really easy for people to get transfixed by one factor you know oh we got high immigration therefore house prices are going to take off again like house prices aren't going to take off there'll be somewhat of a recovery but um the reality is kiwis can't afford to borrow more banks aren't going to lend out much more um, so that you know, those are going to be big limiting factors. We've talked about the fact that until these servicing calculators change, you know, but Kiwi's ability to borrow is not going to miraculously lift. Um, our incomes aren't really going up anymore. Inflation sort of looks like it's under control. The other thing that we've got right is that we've got a big immigrant community in New Zealand who historically have probably been able to pull money from offshore, and I'm thinking probably predominantly the Chinese market. Um, if you look at what's going on in China with the residential property market over there, I'd suggest it's, it's getting a lot harder for um, Chinese immigrants to pull money into New Zealand from China. And you know, I know we're very active property investors, so I think you're, you're just not seeing um, the same level of investment coming in from that Chinese market. Um, yeah. And so, you, you know, you're probably getting back to kind of grassroots property investing. And whilst I think you're going to see an increase in activity, I don't think it's going to be huge. And, and the point back of this bright line test is actually going to have another impact. There's going to be a whole lot of investors out there that have been unable to sell because of the bright line test uh, who want to sell um, because they need cash flow. And that's going to release a whole lot more property into the market. So I think yeah, I actually think you're going to see more supply coming into the market. You might see more demand. You're going to see more supply. So I don't think that you're necessarily going to see this kind of big spike up in property prices. I think you'll see a bit of a recovery. I think everyone's guessing how big that recovery would be. You, you pointed out before that most markets have fully recovered in a nominal sense. Um, and we haven't, but our interest rates are a lot higher and things here are a lot harder We'll see some sort of recovery, but it's speculative to sort of say how much, right? Um, but I, don't, I just don't think it's going to be a strong recovery. And, and this idea that New Zealand's going to go into another boom, that's years away. Yeah, look, it's interesting. I find it pretty interesting that almost every economist is picking somewhere between 5 and 10% increase in property prices in 2024. In fact, most are in that 7 to 10% range. I'm a little bit more dubious about that, actually, given, as you say, mm. many of those influences that are there. I mean, interest rates are still exceptionally high. 
And if nothing changes with interest rates, there's another 1% to come out of on, on average out of household borrowers' wallets. So yeah, we're totally. still in tightening. This is the thing in New Zealand. We are still in tightening cycle. There's another effectively, you can say, 1% of OCR hikes coming just through the slow transmission is, you know, I've got a five-year loan rolling off 299 and 18 months, I think it is. And bit tightening is still in play, isn't it? So I'm a bit yeah. less uh, confident about that big seven, uh, big increase in house prices. What, what do you pick for the year ahead? I think we're seeing the bottom. Mm. I think you're seeing a bit of a recovery. I think, um, oh, look, I'm, I'm probably in that five to 10% space, but, but bear in mind that, you know, house prices in terms of what's communicated out in the market is simply um, a function of what's selling. So I don't think house prices really reflect the reality of the market, right? It, it's quite sensitive to the transactional activity that's occurring in market. So, you know, when you've got very low levels of sales and you've got a really tight market, you can push prices up quite fast. So the key is, you know, that market turnover, because I think we're at, we're at the same level of housing market turnover as we were in 1990. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, which is uh, incredible, right? And it's one of the things that we've seen in New Zealand over the last sort of couple of decades is just velocity of property transactions just been dropping, right? Um, especially on a per capita basis. When you think how many people are here now, we just mm -hmm. don't transact property like we used to for a whole lot of reasons. But what it does mean is that you've got a very small number of transactions that are basically setting this price signal. So what it does mean, I, th I think what it means, Dave, is you're going to get more volatility for the next couple of years, is that you're going to get sort of spikes up, spikes down. I think you're going to get a bit more volatility in that uh, supposed price and it's going to be very much dictated by how much um, supply is coming into the market. I mean, if we don't, you know, my hypothesis of, of what I'm hearing from clients is that we've actually got quite a few people that are keen to sell property. Um, I'm a good example of this. I've got a rental property I want to sell as soon as my tenant moves out. And I've held for longer than 10 years. And I'm, I'm doing it for cash flow reasons. There will be a bunch of people out there like that, right? And with the change in the bright line test, that may bring more of those people into market. So it really depends on how many sellers we've got out there and how realistic those sellers are in terms mm. of, you know, what sort of price will they will they exit the market at? That's ultimately what's going to decide where these prices mm. settle. I think the other insight is most sellers are also buyers. Some aren't, but most sellers are also buyers. So it's the movers activity hasn't been particularly big either. Hey, just turning to construction, uh, we've seen a quite a significant drop in the level of building consents and therefore sort of forward building activity down about 20%, I think. Yeah. What's that mean for property investors and for the market overall? I guess yeah. it's less supply. Less supply going out two or three years. So, I mean, I you know, is property investment a good? A good? Yes. I mean, I think Kiwis are, love property. Um, can you pick at the right time to buy a property? No, well, no. There's certain points in the cycle where you probably won't buy. But you'd have to say at the moment, if you were looking at property in, as an investment class at the moment and you took a, maybe a 10-year view of it, you'd, you'd have to say, well, we're, we're entering a phase where it would be good to get more exposure to property. Right. And I think this is what, you know, your probably introduction was steering us towards. No, look, I totally agree with that. You're never going to pick the perfect time. But bringing back your point around construction, this is a repeat of cycle after cycle that we see, which is New Zealand goes into a recession, house sales drop. 
if anything, the reduction in the bright line to two years and the reintroduction of interest deductibility is going to reduce the appeal of new builds to property investors in particular. And they've been fueling a lot of that new right. build market. That's a good point because new builds were 100% deductible. So yeah. yeah, we brought back the attractiveness of existings, uh, which are cheaper, right? So existing builds are about 20% cheaper than new builds. Obviously it's a different yeah. product, but uh, so as a investor, the attraction of a cheaper house and probably the same rent. Is, well, is and there. also bear in mind that most of these new builds have been townhouses, whereas the attractiveness of maybe picking up a 800 square meter site as a rental property with a long-term capital gain perspective that it could be subdivided up into townhouses in the future and therefore I could you know, I could get a super normal profit. That's going to be very attractive to investors again. So I think what you're going to sort of see is, you know, the 800 square meter lot that is subdividable because of its zoning uh, will be attractive to hold as a rental property because you've got interest deductibility back, uh, bright line test has been pulled back, so you will better sell it in the future and come out tax-free. Um, you don't necessarily want to develop it yourself, but you know that if you buy 800 square metres, it's an attractive proposition long-term. I, I can see a whole lot of investors jumping back into that sort of product, probably Get it. And that's where you'll probably see a bit more price recovery because that's an attractive proposition, uh, good investment. And uh, yeah, um, the new builds, it's going to be tough, right? Because, you know, a lot of these developers need to sell. And, and when we talk new builds, out, well, in places like Auckland, the vast majority of what we're talking about is townhouses. Uh, probably same is true of Wellington, places like Christchurch and stuff, you know, that you've got that sort of sprawling city. There's a lot more standalone houses out in places like Rolleston. So, you know, still talking standalone houses. Although in inner city Christchurch, you're talking about townhouses. All that townhouse stuff, you know, you've got to sell off plan. And it's just near impossible in this market. No one's buying off plan. They'll start to buy off plan a little bit more speculatively with a view that I'm buying now, and by the time I have to settle, it'll be worth more. That, that, that will start to creep back into the market, but not until you're into a strong recovery. So mm. at the moment for developers, it's hard yards, right? You know, they, they can't get off plan sales. For investors, that second-hand market is going to start to look a hell of a lot more attractive. So it's it's, it's going to be tough, you know, And and but we see this cycle repeated time and time yeah. again. And then what's going to happen is we're going to have a housing shortage. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a slow-moving beast, home loans. It's not like, you know, the economic cycle turns and the share market falls 20 or 30% and then, you know, it can recover very, yeah. very quickly. Just the cycle of builds, the cycle of human emotion, the cycle of uh, a home as an investment and a roof over our heads. So it's a sort of a slow-moving beast, isn't it? And uh, and and so I guess as, as you know, we've had that fear, that fear of missing out that drove prices up, and then the fear of overpaying, <laughs> which is I, I can buy it cheaper tomorrow, and and those moods sort of change. But I think we're in that sort of happy place in between the two at the moment, probably where there isn't an expectation that prices are falling, and the evidence is we've had six months of stable or rising prices. But equally, the demand isn't there to drive. I've got to buy today at whatever yeah, price yeah. I can get it at because it will be more expensive tomorrow. But I guess, as you say, JB, this is a cyclical thing that plays out uh, time after time every few years, doesn't it? Yeah, and hey, look, we had a we had a big correction down 
and I think we all agree that the correction's basically done. There will be still people out there that think that the world's going to end, but um, the correction's done. And it was a 30 to 35% in real terms, once you factor in inflation, it was a massive fall. I'm surprised it didn't cause more damage out in the economy than it has. But, you know, it's one of those assets, as long as you can hold it, you're going to be fine, right? Because eventually it will recover. So given it's had its big correction, you'd sort of say, well, holding property again, buying property now as an investment is going to be a good long-term strategy. You're going to get more people coming in. But we haven't got the confidence there yet. And, um, and you know, New Zealand's going to be in recession or close to recession for the next couple of years. The economic miracle is not going to happen in this new government's term. They're going to tidy a whole lot of things up, fix a whole lot of things, maybe break some stuff as well. Um, but if everyone's sort of hoping for this economic miracle to occur simply because we change governments, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we have got still, you know, a couple of years of economic malice to work our way through. And I think the next boom, and I, I've said this before, and it's probably a good thing to finish on because I think you're probably trying to wrap me up even though I can't see you, um, is, the, um, is that the, the next boom will come when once interest rates have dropped and, and they're back down at the bottom of cycle, and we're starting to see strong economic growth coming through in the economy, right? And the economy's heating up. That that combination of a strong economy heating up, uh, business investing, uh, strong economic growth and low interest rates, that's when you see your next boom cycle. Yeah. Okay. Hey, that's been a good uh, summary of stuff from a property investor's perspective. If you're a first home buyer, there's probably some useful insights there, perhaps uh, in one of the next podcasts we might talk about what it all means for first home buyers. But hey, that's our first episode for 2024. And <laughs> we look forward to bringing you many more over the year. See ya. Woo-hoo! Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.